0: Hello everyone, you're listening to Sustainable Energy Asia podcasts. Today, I'm joined by Thomas Brio, who is leading the energy team in Southeast Asia at Arup, a leading design and engineering firm. He's also the co-chairman of the Hydrogen Committee at the Independent Power Producer Forum. We exchange on the hydrogen value chain and its potential to decarbonize the world. And my main take are the following. First, hydrogen is Still being currently produced in majority with CO2 emission byproducts, while green hydrogen is not at the moment cost competitive. Second, the cost of transforming the hydrogen into ship fuel is high due to the low efficiency of the transformation cycle. And third, however, the hydrogen has a very good potential to store energy for the long term, think about season to season, and has the potential to displace LNG where it can be produced locally and transported through pipelines. Hello, Thomas. Welcome to the show. Could you introduce Arup and tell us about how you started your career and how you started to work on hydrogen?
1: Sure. My name is Thomas Brio. I'm the energy advisory leader for Southeast Asia for Arab. I started in Arab 20 years ago now, Working in building services design, but I quickly moved to the building sustainability team, wanting to reduce the carbon impact of the buildings that we were designing. And then I later moved into our energy consulting team, always working on low carbon energy solutions in the built environment, but kind of getting larger and larger in scale. And one of the big problems that I found in the UK was how we decarbonize heat. So in the UK, the peak heating demand is six times the peak electricity demand. And that requires some form of energy solution that's widely storable. And natural gas is what we use in the UK, but that isn't zero carbon. And so I I guess through the last five years of my career, hydrogen has been becoming more of an interesting subject. I think when I first started my career, You know, back in 2001 or whenever, we were talking about hydrogen, but it was so expensive. So what has happened recently is people have started to value carbon reduction to the point where they're really looking seriously at hydrogen. So I've then done a few projects in hydrogen um, based in the UK. And then when I came out to Singapore to lead the Southeast Asia team, there was lots of talk of hydrogen. Lots of my colleagues in Australia working in hydrogen, and I guess Singapore has a land constraint that means hydrogen is a real possibility for
0: That's interesting that you had previous experience in the UK before relocating to Singapore. If we stick back a little bit, could you uh, just explain to us what is hydrogen and why is it so important to achieve the world target to transition toward net zero?
1: Yeah, so I mean, hydrogen is the most abundant element in the universe, but it is very light, and therefore it's quite hard to capture. It disappears very quickly, and so it really needs to be created. However, what it does provide is a long-term, storable, and to some extent, transportable fuel, which can be zero carbon and can be created from zero carbon. So the great benefit of coal and oil and other fossil fuels is they're easily storable and they have high energy density, but they're not zero carbon. So hydrogen has that potential. And although electricity can be created from renewable energy, most renewable energy actually creates electricity, but it's quite hard to store. And so hydrogen provides that storage potential.
0: For the rest of the, the interview, what I want to do is go phase by phase on the value chain of hydrogen. So we'll talk about production, storage, transportation, and then usage. If we start with production, could you introduce the concept of gray, blue, and green
1: hydrogen? Okay. So the concept of the different colors of hydrogen depends on how they're made. There are two fundamental ways of making hydrogen. One is to essentially crack a hydrocarbon, a fossil fuel, and capture the CO2 that comes out of that and store that potentially or release it, or the alternative is to crack water and you get oxygen and hydrogen. So green hydrogen is the cracking of water using renewable electricity. And so it is considered to be the lowest carbon solution that we'll come to that in a minute. Gray hydrogen is the cracking of natural gas, but the release of the CO2. So it achieves nothing from carbon reduction and it is used today because people need hydrogen for various different things. Blue hydrogen means that you capture the CO2 and store that ideally forever in salt caverns or in old gas fields. There are a number of other types of colors of hydrogen. So black if it's coal with no CO2 capture, purple if it's nuclear, but the really important thing actually is how much CO2 is associated with its creation. You can have very bad blue hydrogen, You can also have quite bad green hydrogen, depending on how you create it and transport it. So there's a concept being developed in a number of different countries. Arab are actually working on the standard for different types of hydrogen in the UK and working with the energy industry there. And there it's focusing much more on the kilograms of CO2 emitted per kilowatt hour of hydrogen energy stored. And the concept of color disappears because the important thing here is to decarbonize the the world and stop climate change.
0: That's quite interesting that the color of hydrogen doesn't matter anymore. uh, And what we're really focusing on is the CO2 uh, emission contents. Could you explain how the majority of hydrogen is currently being produced and how moving forward, we could make the production greener or lower the CO2 contents of the hydrogen produced?
1: Yeah, well, hydrogen has been produced for many years, probably a hundred years, over a hundred years. Our first gas networks were created, were were coal gas, and that contains a high percentage of hydrogen, but it's gray hydrogen. The CO2 associated with cracking different hydrocarbons is released because it's expensive to capture. And if you're not forced to capture it, much like with fossil fuel burning, it is released. So the vast, vast majority of hydrogen is produced that way is gray hydrogen here in Singapore uh, gray hydrogen is produced for the k- town's gas network and pumped into the town's gas network from Sembcorp gasworks but also gray hydrogen is produced by industry for use in various different industrial and chemical plants and used for a wide variety of different chemical processes
0: and how do you think the production of hydrogen can be made greener with lower
1: co2 emission yeah, so it's possible to retrofit carbon capture and storage onto some reformation plant, but in reality, old reformation plant is relatively inefficient. New reformation plant can capture very high percentages of the CO2, you know, well over 95%. The issue currently is that quite often there's a combustion process in there. So you get a flue gas that comes out the chimney and that contains a mixture of lots of different gases. So it's difficult, just like on any normal fossil fuel power station to extract that CO2, not impossible, but I think we'll need to move to a more efficient plant and then see that captured. Once that's been captured, the CO2 can then be compressed and reinjected back into old gas wells. That's been done in the past. Typically that is done at the moment, actually to stimulate the gas well to get more gas out, but it has also been done just as a sequestration. The alternative, of course, is to move away from the idea of fossil fuels and, as we talked about, green hydrogen to use renewable electricity to produce.
0: Yeah, and I understand that green hydrogen is really at the beginning stage and that it is still not cost competitive. So we've covered now the production of hydrogen. If we move to the storage and transportation of hydrogen. You said something in introduction that was quite interesting, being that hydrogen is essentially a way for us to store energy. With electricity, whether it's produced by renewables or otherwise, the issue is that we can't really store it. It needs to be consumed at the moment where it is produced. And essentially, hydrogen is helping us to store energy. No, I I think it would be quite interesting if you can explain to us like two physical aspects of hydrogen. The first one being that it has a high energy per unit of mass. And the second one being that uh, it has a very low density per unit of volume. And explain how those two characteristics are impacting the way hydrogen can be stored and transported.
1: Yeah. So hydrogen has a very, very high energy density per mass, as you say, and that's why it's used in rocket fuel, right? So liquid hydrogen is used in rocket fuel. However, as you say, atmospheric pressure, hydrogen has very, very low density, which means that actually, in some senses, it's a safer fuel because if it escapes anywhere, it doesn't pool, it just disappears. But It means that it's quite hard to compress it. It's very hard to liquefy it. You have to get it down to almost absolute zero, so minus 250 degrees Celsius, and very, very costly to do, very energy intensive to do. The other alternatives are to convert it or combine it with another chemical to create a sort of combined fuel that then can be re-cracked. So there are a number of different, one of those, the most popular at the moment is probably ammonia. That's being considered, that's transported around the world as fertilizer. However, ammonia is very toxic and therefore requires big safety distances. So people are looking at other alternatives that combine hydrogen with chemical compounds, which creates a much more stable and transportable fuel, a bit like oil, which is obviously very transportable, but all of those require a lot of energy to be created and then to get them back into hydrogen. And that is, is the challenge in terms of price with hydrogen today and shipping hydrogen.
0: Yeah. I understand there is a lot of efficiency loss when we convert to hydrogen and then when we convert back to electricity. We have covered production, storage and implementation. Now, if we move to usage. Could you explain what are the main industrial applications of hydrogen? And I think you covered some of that previously. And also explain how to make these applications greener.
1: Yeah, I guess there are potentially a very wide range of applications. But the three main ones are as an industrial feedstock or fuel, as a transportation fuel. At the moment, we use uh, fossil fuels predominantly for that, or as a fuel for power generation. So if we think about renewable electricity, we can store renewable electricity and balance the intermittency of clouds coming over solar panels with batteries. But if you want to store it day to night, and particularly week to week or season to season, that's a very big challenge. So the hydrogen offers in the power generation sector the opportunity to, to have that long term storage and to deal with that, with that challenge. In the vehicle space, in the transportation space, the high Energy density per unit of mass, as we talked about earlier, means that for every unit of energy, the weight is about a third of charged batteries. So for heavy vehicles, for long distance travel, hydrogen has a distinct advantage over batteries. However, the downside is that you have to move the fuel around and create refueling stations much as we currently do. Whereas one of the advantages of electric vehicles is the fact that you can plug it in anywhere. So I think for heavy truck hydrogen offers some great advantages. And I guess, so people are looking at buses, it's also very quick to refuel. Whereas recharging batteries takes you know hours, particularly for buses. The first place where hydrogen uh, transportation was commercially viable without any sort of support is in warehouse forklift trucks. So forklift trucks typically in warehouses operate 24 seven, but if they're batteries uh, powered, you essentially need two forklifts for every person that you've got on site, because one is charging while the other one is being used. Whereas with the hydrogen, you can refill it in minutes and then you can use it for 24 hours. So there are some very specific advantages where hydrogen has it. But in most cases, that energy penalty associated with the conversion into hydrogen, firstly, which can be about 70% efficient if you're talking green hydrogen production. But the conversion then into a shippable fuel, you typically lose at least 50% of the energy just in creating a shippable fuel and then back out again. So in the end, the price of hydrogen is, you know, two, three, sometimes even five times the price of the original electricity that you put in, depending on how far you're shipping it and what fuel you're using.
0: That's interesting meaning that essentially for passenger vehicles, batteries makes a lot more sense than fuel cells. No one understand is green hydrogen at the moment is not commercially viable without any governmental supports. Looking at the country in this uh, Asia-Pacific region, what are the f- countries that has put in place the right framework to support the development of green hydrogen?
1: Yeah, it's it's interesting. Hydrogen is a bit like gas. In terms of markets, energy markets, you know, the global oil market is just a completely global market. And there's one pr- price because it's really easy to move around. The electricity market is very, very locally based. So one country right next to another country can have very different electricity prices and to do a lot with their generation mix, but also to do with their fuels and regulations and all sorts of things. And gas traditionally has been somewhere in between. It's like a continental fuel. Mostly it's piped and 90% of natural gas is still piped and only 10% is in the form of LNG. And that is because of the energy penalty of Converting into LNG and regasif. So, you know, Russia into Europe or Canada into the US. And I think that element of the energy penalty is so much stronger in hydrogen, so much, so much worse because the creation of a shippable fuel is so expensive that the use of hydrogen in the future, in terms of hydrogen shipped internationally, will be quite limited to those countries that are geographically isolated and have very limited resource. So we're talking Japan, South Korea, Singapore. I think in Europe, we'll see Germany needing to to import hydrogen. I think lots of other countries, for example, the UK will store hydrogen, but will create their own and won't create a shippable fuel. So they'll create as a gas and uses it as a gas. And therefore not have to pay that large energy penalty associated with liquefying or converting it into another fuel. But so, you know, Singapore has got a very unique situation, quite limited renewable resource, a a well-developed economy, which can potentially afford to use hydrogen over some other states. So I think Singapore might be one of the first places to import hydrogen via ship. And it's most likely that that will come from Australia just because it's relatively close and the renewable resource is high in Australia and the land cost is low. So the production of hydrogen will be cheap and therefore that energy penalty that you pay will be less extreme.
0: That's really interesting considering that Australia might also be exporting renewable electricity directly into Singapore in cable projects. No, I want to have your view on In five or 10 years, what do you think the hydrogen value chain will be looking like, how hydrogen will be produced and how it is going to be used?
1: Yeah, I think hydrogen will generally be used domestically or used where it can be piped to another country and the compression will be a a, a relatively niche market. That's just my uh, belief. But there are a number of things that are driving a high cost of hydrogen at the moment. One is obviously the cost of renewable energy. That is very low at the moment. It is the cheapest form of energy anywhere in the world. But we need it to come down even further because that increase in the price of hydrogen because of all the conversion efficiency means... That's that one of the key levers. Another one is the electrolyzers. As you said, green hydrogen has been produced in the past, but at relatively small scale. And we're going from a few kilowatts to a few megawatts now. But the discussions with all the hydrogen hubs, particularly in Chile and Australia, are gigawatt scale hydrogen production and creating the electrolyzer or the electrolyzer stack. So you have multiple electrolyzers for that. It's going to take a long time. And I think the factories to produce those electrolyzers will be, need to be being built and the efficiencies of those production. But as we saw with solar panels, as soon as the Chinese stepped in, kind of driven by feed-in tariffs in Germany initially, but then across Europe, suddenly there's a market and the Chinese create a manufacturing industry. That means they can roll out photovoltaic panels at a very low cost. I imagine the same thing with electrolyzers. So I think. Hydrogen will be in the mix for most economies. It'll be dominant in some of those isolated economies where they're currently very reliant on LNG, for example. And I see it as a way of domestically storing uh seasonal energy that can then be used. So if you think about the UK, the winter, we'd need to build up a reserve of hydrogen that can then be used for heating fuels.
0: That was fascinating. Thank you for your time, Thomas. Thank you.